0: Well, boys and girls, thank you for it. I know you're walking out to kids' worship right now, but thank you for leading us in song. Wasn't that amazing to hear them teach us that great truth? So again, boys and girls, thank y'all. Especially want to thank Laurie and Ira for teaching them this song. And just, if you don't know, if your kids are not yet involved in our Sunday morning kids' Bible study program, not only do they have great teaching, but the last 15 minutes, first through sixth grade, all comes together, and they're teaching them great hymns of the faith, to help them learn this great theology of who God is and to sing it in songs. So hopefully you'll be seeing this about every six or seven weeks, the kids singing like this for us, of what they've been learning in their Bible study hours. I want to invite you to bring your kids early at 9 a.m. to go deep in God's Word and to have a chance to sing together. Once you find Ephesians chapter 4 as we continue our journey through Paul's letter to the people in Ephesus and to us as well. We found ourselves in recent weeks in a section of Ephesians that some people call ethical commands. There's a lot in here about how we're to live. This is all part of a big framework that Paul has been given to us about how we walk worthy. If you remember in Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, our identity in Christ, all God has done for us, he's chosen us, he's adopted us, he's made us part of his family, that all these, he's given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, because of all that, Ephesians 4 begins first, how do we live because of it? We're to walk worthy, we're to keep it in balance. Here's who Christ has said you are. Now, by His grace, not by your strength, but by His grace, start living out who He has said that you are. The paradigm that we've been given in Ephesians 4 for how we walk worthy, how we live our identity, is a simple one. We put off what's old. We put off our simple ways. We get rid from our lives, those things that are inconsistent with who we are in Christ. But as we've seen, week after week is not just enough to not sin. Holiness requires more. Holiness requires not just not sinning. It requires putting on, adding to our life the Christ-like virtues that he's calling us to do. So week after week now, we're seeing put off the sin, put on holiness, and put on Christ-likeness. Over the last two weeks, we've seen this in two areas. Two weeks ago, we talked about falsehood or lying. If you remember from two weeks ago, there's many, many ways that we can be deceitful, that we can lie. And we're to put that off. But we're to replace that with not just not lying, we're to replace it with gracious truth-telling. Then last week we saw that we need to put off sinful anger from our life. And we replace it depending on the situation with either righteous anger for a short period of time, forgiveness if we've been wronged, or patience if it's just a preference. And if you missed any of those last few weeks, you should have received an email from us this week with the resources to help you in this, pointing you back to how you can think more about these topics. If you did not get that, please let us know. We want to keep in touch with you. Well, today we come to a third real-life issue, and that's the issue of stealing. Now, before we look at our text, uh, you probably know what's about to come here. Over the last two weeks, it's easy for us to look at these things go, okay, I'm okay here. You know, I've never broken down my neighbor's house and stolen something from it. You know, I don't shoplift. I'm okay, good. I get to check out this morning because I don't steal. Well, before we have the danger of doing that, I want to give you some ways that Christians can be tempted to steal. So first of all, before we look at our text, what is stealing? There's lots of forms of stealing in the world today. I want to give you two big categories with some examples under each. The first type of stealing is this. Stealing is taking something that belongs to another person without their permission. Stealing is taking something that belongs to another without their permission. Now, this happens in lots of places. This happens out in the community, in the business world, even just in the community in general. You Think about thefts. You turn on WSFA at night, what do you see? House broken into, car broken into, things stolen. We hear reports all the time of people's property being taken. That's what we typically think of with theft, and that is definitely stealing or theft. But it also happens with shoplifting. I was stunned this week. I was just curious how big of a problem shoplifting was, so I just did a little search of it. Do you know in the U.S. last year, 18 billion, that's billion would it be dollars of goods were stolen from stores, 18 billion dollars of goods were shoplifted last year. It happens in the community friends, stealing happens at school. Cheating, copying other people's work, is stealing. You're taking things that belong to someone else, and you're using it, presenting it as your own. That's stealing. They did a survey of high school students, and 59% admitted they stole or cheated on homework. Plagiarism, really bad at a lot, even at the college level, taking things online and reporting it in your papers as your own. So stealing can happen in those ways, but friends, stealing can also happen in our workplaces, on the job, when you kind of turn in more hours than you actually worked. Well, I'm going to round up a few minutes. I know I left at 4.50, but I'm going to tell them I left at 5. That's stealing. You're taking money from your employer for things you did not perform. Stealing can also happen, friends, if we're getting paid to work and we're not working. If we're sitting at work playing on Facebook when our company's paying us to be working, that's stealing. We're taking money that they've given to us to do a task and we're not doing that task. It can even happen in taking work supplies home for personal use. Oh yeah, I work for a million dollar company. What's this 25 cent pencil to them? But it's something that was given for work purposes when we use it for our own, that is stealing. For stealing can also happen at home. It can happen when we do not return things that we borrow. But it also can happen on our computers. When we use software, listen to music, watch movies that we've not paid the licenses for, that's all forms of stealing. When we're taking something that belongs to another, whether it's a company or a person, and use it without their permission. And the second form of stealing that can happen as well, and that is withholding from another what is rightfully theirs. Stealing is withholding from another person what is rightfully due to them. Companies can do this when they withhold wages. I've heard of stories of servers and restaurants who don't get the tips that are given to them on the credit card. That's stealing, the employer's stealing from their employees. It can happen when we withhold payments if we do not pay our bills. That's stealing from the company that we use their services If we don't pay our other obligations. Friends, we can steal if we don't return accidental overpayments. If the clerk gives you $5 back, you're supposed to get $2 back. We don't return products. Just, friends, not too long ago, I was at Home Depot, and I was buying air filters for my house. I bought two, got in my car for some reason I looked at the receipt, and they'd only charged me for one. It's so easy at that point to justify and be like, okay, Home Depot, they make millions and millions of dollars. This is a little $4 air filter. But if I had driven off at that point, I would have been stealing because I had taken something that belonged to them and I hadn't paid for it. So I went back inside and told the clerk, hey, you only charged me for one of the two. And she like she'd seen a ghost. She's like, you did what? But we want to make sure we're honest in, in what we're doing on that. But how about this one, friends? A form of stealing is when we do not report all of our income to the government. I had a friend years ago who was an accountant. And she said she grieved tax season. because She said most of her accounts that she did were for believers. And she said to see how many Christians intentionally lied to the government, stole from the earth by not reporting all their income. But one last one of this category, friends, is stealing from God. When we do not give generously back to the Lord and to His church as He has commanded. God has told us to give back to Him a portion of what we've received. When we do not do that, we're stealing from Him. We're withholding what is rightfully His. If we consider stealing as those things, friend, the reality is many of us have stolen, and perhaps even recently. With that in view, friends, as you would expect from our text today, we're going to see that we're to put off, we're to get rid of all forms of stealing, whether it's big or whether it's small, whether it looks to us as really significant or it seems insignificant. We're to put it all off. We're to get rid of it from our lives, and we're to put on something else. So as we come to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, I want you to look for, obviously we're going to get rid of stealing, that's going to be pretty obvious, but what do we put on in its place? But even more importantly, why? What do we replace stealing with in our lives? But the bigger question is why? What do we replace it with? friends? In our culture, you would expect Paul to say, don't steal, work hard to take care of yourself. But that's not what he's going to say. He's got a different reason given for what we're to do instead of stealing. So I want you to look for what that reason is as we come to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Just one verse this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. I'm reading out the English Standard Version. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I'm thankful that you've given us your word, that you've not left us wondering how we're to order our lives, not left us wondering who you are or what your expectations for us are. But I pray this morning for grace for myself and these precious brothers and sisters, God, that your word would come alive to us, your Holy Spirit would convict us and show us areas where we need to grow and change and where we need to be walking worthy of our calling in you. So would you take your word today and let it come alive to each one of us, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So one idea I want you to see from this verse this morning is simply this. God calls us to not steal. But even more, he calls us to work hard so we can give to others. God calls us to not steal. So again, we think, okay, good, I'm fine here. But he calls us even more to work hard so that we can give to others. For some people steal to get things. And obviously God says, don't do that. Some people work to get things. And that's better, but that's still not holiness. We're going to see here that God calls us to work so that we can give. That's what holiness, Christ-likeness looks like. Don't steal to get, but don't just work to get, work to give. God calls us to not steal, but even more, he calls us to work hard so that we can give to others. So first of all, look, we're to put off stealing from our life. Look back at verse 28, the very first phrase. Let the thief no longer steal. Now, I just want to remind you when he says let the thief. Paul is writing to believers in Ephesus. This was a letter written to... Christians, to followers of Christ. He's telling to these Christians in Ephesus, let the thief no longer steal. That means that there is a very real temptation, even for believers, to steal. You may not think we're shoplifting, but there's other ways I mentioned earlier that we can steal. So he's warning believers that this can be, whether big or small, can be a sin, can be a temptation for them. He tells us to let us no longer do this. No longer steal is a command. It's a present tense command. Literally, you could translate this, the one who is stealing should steal no more. He's saying stop it and stop it right now. If if you're convicted of this in your life, he says, don't carry on with it. No more excuses. No delay. Just end it. No longer steal. And friends, we shouldn't be surprised. This is not some new revelation from God here. In fact, this goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 20, the eighth commandment of the Ten Commandments. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, you probably know it. You shall not steal. Pretty clear, pretty straightforward, right? Old Testament, New Testament, this is the will of God. But why? Why are we not to steal, friends? Because stealing belongs to our old nature, it's inconsistent with what it means to be a follower of Christ. In fact, I want you to see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. This is an incredibly sobering text. Just listen to it. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. And then verse 10, nor thieves, there's today, nor the greedy. That has everything to do with what we're talking about this morning. Nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit... The kingdom of god if we claim to be a follower of christ there's no place for this in our life because that is the old nature friends and if these things characterize this doesn't mean that we're never going to be tempted with these things it doesn't mean we're not we're going to fall follow these things but if our life is marked by what you see in verses 9 and 10 without repentance without conviction without a desire to change we need to do an honest look because he says those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of god it doesn't matter how many times we prayed the sinner's prayer, walked an aisle, done all these things. If there's no transformation, we're not a follower of Christ. We I mean, think back to the Gospel of John that we looked at last year. Belief was not, I prayed a prayer. Belief was, I've received a radical transformation from above. And so all those things that we just saw on that list were old nature. It's how we were before Christ. But if we really have believed, he's transforming us. And that's actually what the next verse in 1 Corinthians 6 shows. I'm thankful it doesn't stop with verse 10. Look at verse 11. And such were... Notice the past tense were no longer in your past. Such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Friends, I cannot think of a much more hope-filled verse than that. We're talking about stealing and thievery today. But if anything else on that list applies to you that we saw in the previous two verses, it says that was past tense who you were. If you were in Christ, if you've embraced Ephesians 1 through 3, that's not you anymore. God has done what? He's washed you. That means He's forgiven you. He has cleansed you of this sin. He has justified you. Justified means He's no longer holding the penalty against you. You've been forgiven. You can know Him. But also it is, you were sanctified. Sanctified is just a big word that means you're growing in godliness. That you're walking worthy by His grace. He's changed you so that more and more your life looks like Christ. Friends, God doesn't rescue us so we don't go to hell. He rescues us so that we would know Him and grow in godliness. He rescues us so that we might be sanctified, that we might put off our old ways and we might put on Christ-likeness. And so, friends, by His grace, even if stealing or anything else on that list has been a struggle for you, if you are in Christ, the good news is you don't have to be that way anymore. Such were some of you, but you're not that anymore. He's washed you. He's sanctified you. He's justified you. That means, friends, that for stealing or any of these sins, there's hope for us to change. How? Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. We looked at this last week, but I want you to see it again because it's so important. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Go back up a few verses. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And how do we do that? Verse 23. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds. We're to have our minds renewed. Friends, if we're stealing, whether it's big or whether it's small, whether we're not reporting all of our income to the government, whether we're taking things from work, whether we're playing while we're on the clock at work, whatever it might be. If we're stealing, it's because we have a wrong belief about something. It may be a wrong belief about ourselves. I deserve this. The government doesn't really need it. Whatever. We have a wrong belief about ourselves and my stuff. It may be an insecurity or a fear of if I don't keep this, what's going to happen tomorrow? It could be a wrong belief about others. If we're taking from others, uh, we, we don't, we're not valuing them as made in the image of God. ultimately, it may be a wrong belief about God and his goodness and his provision. Now I'm becoming more and more persuaded that so many of our sins come from believing that I am not well provided for by God. If we could really get our minds around that I am a child of God and I am well provided for, that he's given me everything I need for life and godliness, that would change and revolutionize so much of our stuff. So if we're stealing, it's because we have a wrong belief about ourselves, about others, about God. And we need to renew our minds. What do we renew our minds with? There's so many verses I could point to. I want to give you one this morning that I encourage you to meditate on. If you have a friend who's struggling with this, if you're struggling with taking that which doesn't belong to you, I encourage you to look at Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. I can't think of many texts that would better renew our minds about things and money and stuff in this one. Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Then verse 6. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? As so you realize that, that what an antidote that is to the temptation to take, whether from our employer, whether from the government, whether at the store, wherever else. Go back, Brad, to verse 5 for us here. Just look at this again of what, what you see in verse 5 in Hebrews 13. Keep your life free from love and money. Be content. You have Friends, if we're content with what we have, we won't be grabbing for more. But notice how we can be content. God has said, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. Friends, in these two verses, more than we can unpack this morning, there is so much about God's character, there's so much about God's promises, there's so much about a right view of possessions and stuff and money, and this will help free us if we can get our mind around this from taking that which does not belong to us. You know, one of my favorite authors and speakers is a guy named John Piper. You hear me quote him periodically. and writing about Hebrews 13, he said this, and I just love this. I have to share it. He says, The Lord who owns all the cattle on a thousand hills, who has the wisdom to design DNA in the Milky Way, the Lord who rules the world down to the death of even little birds in Bangladesh, and the one who did not spare his own son, that Lord of lords and that king of kings has promised his people, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I ask you, Can you believe that and yet steal to add a little more to your security or your pleasure? Because if we really get how big God is that he spoke and the universe came into being, that he knows every hair on our head, that he knows when a bird falls from the sky, when he is sovereign over all things, and we really get our minds around that and realize the one who is sovereign over all has said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. If we really get our minds around that, how can we be insecure to where I think I need to hold something back that belongs to another How can I take something that doesn't belong to me if I really believe the one who speaks the universe into being knows me by name and will take care of me? Therefore, God calls us to not steal. But that's not all he calls us to do. He calls us to more. Obedience requires more than not stealing. He's going to call us to put on hard work. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28 again. He says in verse 28, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather, now what do we put on? Let him labor doing honest work, with his own hands, we're told to labor. We're told to work. This again is an imperative, a command. So the command is means start right now. I mean, stop stealing right now and start working right now. Don't delay. Don't come up with a plan in five years to do this. Like if you're stealing, stop now and start working right now. But what's so fascinating is the word that Paul uses for work here is not your normal word for work. He picks the word to labor to the point of exhaustion, labor to the point of weariness. He's saying, don't do this half-hearted. Instead of taking for others, you give it your all. You do hard work to the point you're exhausted. And that some of your translations will follow up when they'll say to do honest work, or some will say to do good work. The point is, make sure whatever you're laboring in glorifies God. There's a few careers that you really can't go into and glorify God. Most of what you guys are all doing, you can do to glorify God. But it's saying that what, don't find like, oh, there's a way I can make a lot of money and you know it dishonors God. The point of this, of honest work or hard work, is we need to work hard, not take. We need to work hard to gain things, but do it in a way that honors God in a career or in a type of work that pleases God and is honest and is good. Now, friends, should we be surprised by this? The call to work is a good call for us. In fact, I want to give you two things about work that's important to realize. First of all, did you realize that work is pre fall? Work is not a result of the curse. God gave work before Adam and Eve sinned. You go all the way back to Genesis 1. Maybe this will be a sermon for another day. But Genesis 1, God gave Adam and Eve tasks to do in the garden. When the world was perfect, when there was nothing wrong, Adam and Eve just didn't sit around all day smiling, looking at birds in the sky. God gave them tasks to do. He gave them work to do. Work was part of what he created them to do. He placed Adam in the garden to work and to keep. That is pre-fall. Now, the fall and the curse made it harder. But before the fall came out... God gave work and work was good by God's design. But second of all, do you realize that we're going to work in heaven? We're not going to sit around on clouds strumming harps all day staring off at the angels. He's going to give us work to do in heaven. Again, a sermon for another day. I think I say that a lot, don't I? Luke chapter 19, I encourage you to read it later. In Luke 19, you have the parables that talk about faithfulness. You know those parables about faithfulness. A person who's been faithful to manage what God had given in this life, when he gets to heaven, he doesn't get retirement. He doesn't get a vacation. What does God give? He gets a promotion. He gets more work. The reward is more responsibility in heaven. Friends, in heaven we will work because work is good. Work to glorify God is God's plan. Before the fall, now in this cursed and fallen world, and even in the new heavens, the new earth, work is God's plan. So it's no surprise that God calls us not to steal, not to take, but rather to work hard. But why? Why does he call us to work hard? Well, it's his plan, but there's something bigger here. Again, our culture would say, work hard to take care of yourself. And that's certainly biblical. Paul writes about that in, in other letters. But particularly in here, he's got something else in, in view here. We work hard, not just so we can get for ourselves. We work hard so we can get to give to others. He calls us to work hard to give. We're to put on, not just hard work, we're to put on generosity. Look back in Ephesians 4, 28 again. Let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that, here's the reason, Paul's super clear here, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Well, he's calling us to do hard, honest, exhausting work so that we can be generous to others. Who is the anyone in view here? Well, it's anyone, but particularly the church. Now, why do I say that? Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 gives us a lot of insight of what Paul means when he's talking about anyone here. So then as we have opportunity... Let's do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. What Paul has in view here in meeting the needs of anyone, is is anyone we come across in contact with, but particularly in the church. Paul is always holding up the church. That's what's most important. And he's saying to make sure we're working hard so we can give to help other believers within the body. In fact, that is what the early church did. Acts chapter 4, verse 34. Here's a quick glimpse of it. There was not a needy person among them. Isn't that a phenomenal description of how the church functioned? Four, why, how was this possible? For as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. In verse 35, And laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. The early church got what Paul is telling the people in Ephesus here, and they lived it out. In fact, what's fascinating, and again, sermon for another day, Acts chapter 5 that follows these texts is a story of Ananias and Sapphira. In the early church here, you have this couple, and they sold their property, but they kept more back than they were supposed to. And they go to the apostle, and they lie. So talking about the sins we've looked at for three weeks now. They were stealing, and they were lying. So we got two of the three we've covered in these three weeks. And they lie about it. And what does God do? He strikes them dead there in front of the whole church. And the young men carry their bodies out. Why? Because it, God takes it that seriously, stealing from God, not helping those in need and lying. And so God made a point about it for the good of the early church. God calls us to not steal. But even more, he calls us to work hard so we can give to others. Now, one important clarification on this principle for us. This is not just a truth for the super wealthy, okay? This is really easy to look at this text and be like, man, once I get more income, I'll do that. But that's not what it's about. This is for every believer. Paul's writing to anyone who claims the name Of Christ, Whether or not we have padded bank accounts or we are living paycheck to paycheck, this is a command for all of us. In fact, I want you to see this model. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. There's a fascinating glimpse into this being modeled in the life of the early church. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Look along with me. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that's been given among the churches of Macedonia. Now, hold there for a minute. Paul's writing to the people in Corinth and to encourage them in their faith, he's going to hold up as an example the church in Macedonia, the believers gathered together in Macedonia. Now, what's going to follow friends notice is not something that the people in Macedonia did because they're so smart because they just have white knuckle determination what's about to follow is because of the grace of god because god in His grace has enabled this church to be what he wanted the church to be so verse number two in second corinthians chapter eight what did god grace do for them for in a severe test of affliction their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part so just pause there for a second there What's the church in Macedonia facing? Extreme poverty and afflictions. Doesn't sound like a very happy place to be, does it? It's not what our culture holds up is, if you just love God, he'll bless you and you'll be rich. No, that's nowhere in the Bible, friends. Here's people who love Jesus and they're being afflicted and they have extreme poverty. But because of the grace of God at work in their life, what overflows was generosity on their part. Now, verse 3 of Second Corinthians 8. For they gave. Okay, wait, these are people being afflicted in extreme poverty. They gave according to their means. Okay, They may not have been able to give as much as the Corinthian church, but they still gave. As I can testify, and beyond their means. Wait, wait. So now, because of God's grace, they're giving even beyond what makes sense from a human standpoint. They were able to give of their own accord. Paul's not twisting their arm. Paul's not making them. They, because of the Holy Spirit within them, because of God's grace, even though they're in affliction and poverty, they're still giving. Now, verse number four. They beg, uh, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So now these people who are in poverty and affliction are begging Paul. I know there's other people hurting. I know I've got needs, but they're hurting. I want to contribute to their needs. Then verse 5 as well. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, lordship, commitment to Christ, and then by the will of God to us, meaning that they supported Paul's ministry. These believers in the Macedonian church had so encountered the grace of God, even though they were afflicted and in poverty, they wanted to help other believers in need in other churches, and they wanted to help Paul do his ministry. friends, It's such an example for us of how Ephesians 4.28 applies to us, regardless of whether or not we're living paycheck to paycheck, or whether we have a padded retirement account. The same truth holds true for all of us. God calls us to not steal, but he calls us to work hard so we can give to others. So friends, the question for us we have to answer is, am I stealing to get? Am I working to get? Or am I working to give? Am I stealing to get? Am I working to get? Or am I working to to give. Friends, if you're one who's been stealing to get, whether it's big things or little things, I just want to plead with you to think about the character of God. Repent and do what's right and begin to work hard so you can bless other people. And if you have, if the Word convicts you of things you've taken, whether it's overpayment from a teller, things at work, whatever else, I just want to remind you, God calls us not just to repent, but God calls us to make it right. Again, a sermon for another day. Was that the fourth time today on that one? Luke chapter 19 same text about the parables telling us about faithful stewards later. And that's also the account of Zacchaeus. There's a reason those go hand-in-hand there in Luke 19. Zacchaeus had been defrauding people as a tax collector. When he encounters Christ, he's not like, good, I'm going to stop. What does he do? He says, I'm going to sell my stuff and give to the poor. There's generosity. I'm going to repay multiple fold what I've taken from others. Friends, repentance is not just, I'm going to quit doing wrong. Zacchaeus put on righteousness and generosity to others. So if you've been stealing to get in the little things... Start making it right by God's grace and repent of that. Friends, if you're the one who's been working to get, but you've stopped there, I want to challenge you to let God push you beyond that, to trust Him and to trust His provision, to trust that He will give you the grace to do what He's called you to do and to begin to give to others. You may be looking at your bank account going, I have absolutely no way that I know how to make this happen. Have you stopped to pray and ask God and say, God, you've commanded me to give generously. Show me how I can do that. And trust me, when we ask God for help to obey His commands, He will always help us on that. But friends, let me add to this. If you're one who's been working but not giving back to the Lord, which is a common way people still, I just want to plead with you to trust God and begin to give to kingdom purposes and to give back to the Lord's purpose in that. But friends, for those of you who have been working to give, and that's so many of you, and let me just say here, I don't know who gives what. But by design at Gateway, no elder, no deacon, no one in leadership knows who gives what. We don't want to know that because we don't want it to cloud our shepherding of you guys. So that's between you and the Lord. But for those of you who, as I look at the reports that come in every week and someone's given a lot of money for a particular mission, calls or given money to the church, we don't know who you are. We can only say thank you for your faithfulness to obey God. It's between you and the Lord. But for those of you who are giving faithfully to the Lord, giving faithfully to others in need, I just want to encourage you this morning. You are doing the will of God. You are obeying God's command on this. And that's not because you're so smart and amazing. It's because God's grace at work in your life, like it was in the Macedonian believers' lives. And I just want to encourage you to thank God for his grace and to ask him to keep growing you more and more. Friends, this doesn't make sense in the world's eyes. Our world doesn't understand why you would work hard to the point of exhaustion so that you have resources to give to others. It may not make sense in their eyes, but it makes sense in God's eyes. And it makes sense in the church. Friends, God has called us not to take from others, not to steal. But he's called us to work hard so that we can be a blessing to others and used by him in furthering his kingdom and his mission. Would you pray with me? Father, I do thank you for your word, Lord. I know these are hard texts we've been looking at on anger, looking at lying, looking at stealing. And Lord, I pray that you would give us much grace, Lord, to, to realize that it's your love for us that you've given us these things. It's your love for us and why you convict us of sin. Lord, it's not because you're just trying to beat us over the head, but God, it's because you discipline your children. We're just as good parents discipline their kids when they're wayward because they love them. Lord, we're thankful that you discipline us and your love for us because you want us to know you and experience you. You want us to have the freedom that comes from walking in holiness. And so Lord, I ask for myself and these brothers and sisters that you would give us much grace as we look into our hearts, as your Holy Spirit shows us things. Lord, if there's areas of sin in our lives, whether it's what we've talked about in recent weeks of deception and lying, anger, taking things today. Perhaps it's other things we looked at. It's not even on this list. Sexual immorality, other types of greed and impurity, whatever it is, Lord. We trust that because we're your children, that you will convict us, that you will show us how to repent. You will show us how to put off those old and put on the new. And Lord, we know we can't do that by our strength. So we come to you this morning, needy, weak, helpless, knowing that we can never change our own. Asking Holy Spirit, that you would fill us. Holy Spirit, you would give us the strength to hate our sin and to love you. That you would give us the grace to quickly repent when we fall short, that you would give us the grace to humble ourselves and go to people we need to confess our sins to, and Lord, that you would transform us so that we can find the joy of walking intimately with you, with no sin hindering our fellowship with you, nothing to keep us from seeing you in all of your beauty and all of your glory. But we want to be transformed, not for our sake, God, but because you deserve the glory. God, we want to be able to be used by you or to make you known to this hurting world all around us. So God, in my heart, in the hearts of each of these brothers and sisters, this week, would you show us how we can be generous to others and help those in need? But it may be something that we not even considered before, but God, this week, would you show us some practical ways we as your children can put on generosity? And God, I pray that you would give us a holy desire to bless other people, to be the church, to be unified and to love each other, and not only in our words, but God, in our tangible ways as well. And God, we'll trust you with the results, Lord. You will lead us as you see fit, and we will as your children submit to your lordship. So have your way, Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning?